put your imagination caps on. So you're going to shut your eyes and tune out the room so we're not focused on the room. But I've got to get your minds focused on something, and I need your imaginations. So everybody's eyes are shut, and I want you to imagine this. It's January, not September. It's January in Winnipeg. And the wind chill is very high. It has been in the minus 30s, even close to the minus 40. Anyone who's lived in Winnipeg knows January is cold. And you don't even really have a winter jacket. You have something less than a winter jacket on. And you don't have a home. You're living in a van, a Volkswagen van and you have five other people living in there with you and you've been parking this van in a church parking lot and sleep sleeping there overnight and it's been cold you leave one person awake and every three hours you switch and that person keeps turning on the the van every hour just to warm it up so you don't freeze because it's cold now, the priest has been watching this for days and wondering what's going on. And finally, he decides to come to you. And he knocks on the window and he says, what's going on? And you tell them, we're immigrants. We never thought it would be this cold in Winnipeg. We're just trying to settle, get some jobs, and live here. And it's been cold. Please let us use your parking lot. And the priest says, of course. You can use the parking lot as long as you need it. And then the priest goes back to the building and his heart is burdened and he knows what to do, but he doesn't know if it's going to work. He goes to the church cleaners. And these church cleaners were immigrants. They, they came three years ago. Now they have a house. It's not fixed. It still needs renovations, but it has three levels. It's a big house. And the priest thought maybe they would be kind to these people, these strangers. And so the the cleaners hear about this and they say, of course, tell them to come for dinner tonight. And these brothers are excited because they get a hot meal and they get to sit down and you're there and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. And strangers become friends. It doesn't happen that they only come for a meal. They said to them, for as long as you need, our house is your house until you find jobs, and until you're okay again. And so they bless them. They eat dinners together. Even when they go out to their jobs, these two, this couple, these cleaners, they have their own bag with lunch in it, and every day they make seven lunches, one for everybody, as they go out looking for jobs. One, one job after another, they begin to find jobs. They connect them to their friends. They connect them to their church community. They bless them in every way they know they can. Because they're newcomers. You're a newcomer. And so you eventually all find a job and you get a lease and you get a, a, an apartment rental that's big enough to hold you there and you feel so blessed by the hospitality you've received. Hospitality facilitated fellowship that ended up Welcoming and embracing strangers. By the way, the Greek word hospitality, philo, xenos, two words. Philo is loves, xenos is stranger. It means to love, 
the stranger. These strangers were welcomed and loved and blessed. And they're no longer strangers. You can open up your eyes. My mom and dad were the church cleaners. January 1970. I was conceived then, but I was born later on in, the, in December. I, did, I wasn't alive yet in, on earth. I was alive in my mom's womb, but I was part of this. And my mom told me the story again and again to always never think that what you have is all yours, but to share it. Always think of sharing beyond yourself what you have. The six strangers were six Greek brothers. <laughs> they thought that they can come to Winnipeg in January, <laughs> and they found out the hard way that they needed help to make it. And they experienced this fellowship that exists in hospitality. Hospitality makes fellowship happen. We've been in a series, I've been doing a series called uh, Unity in our church community, and this is part nine in this series. And we're going to focus on pursuing the fellowship that exists in hospitality. Romans 12.13 is going to be our main verse. And Romans 12.13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And then it says, and seek to show hospitality. The Greek word for contribute is dioko. Dioko means run after it. If fellowship is happening in some sort of hospitality situation as believers who are called to gather together and in those gatherings to contribute to each other's needs, run hospitality so that you can be there and not miss out on having your finger on the pulse of other people's needs spiritual and practical so that you can participate you can partner you can be part of a church body as one of the members and parts that's needed and belongs so that every part contributes their part and there are no needs in the end neither spiritual nor practical this is the church of God in the mind of Jesus Christ the head of the church Contribute. Contribute, kinoneo, is, you've heard of koinonia. It's kinonia, just so you know. <laughs> O-I, it makes an E sound. Kinonia, koinonia, community, and kinoneo. How can I kinoneo if I'm not in the fellowship of community and participating in the gatherings? It's impossible. To kinoneo, you have to by the way, being hospitable and pursuing hospitality is not only being a host, it's also being a guest that's willing to go and bring your best and share your best and offer your best. Both are needed for hospitality to be made complete, for fellowship in hospitality to be a full house. And when that full house comes together, it's only then that kinoneo can happen, where I can communicate to the needs of the saints. I might not even know Sherry's need, but God might give me something because he knows what she needs, and then I give to her. She never even made it known that she was struggling in some area that needed encouragement, and she gives me something. And I say it to her, and she's like, whoa, God, you know me, and you know where I am. And I, George didn't know, but you gave him something because you knew me. Or 
you might make known something that's going on in your life and people come around you and they pray for you and they bless you and they build you up as we're meant to do when we gather. Or it might be a real practical need. I'm moving. I'm all by myself. I need help. Could you guys help me? And then all these hands come to help move the stuff and something so heavy and so hard becomes easy and light because the body of Christ got into it and not just one part. Romans 12, 13, my purpose in this message is to spur us on to pursue, to run after, to take hold of every fellowship opportunity that can exist in the week, in the month, in the year. We are to run after fellowship and go as deep as we can. Sometimes we can only make it to Zoom, and that is really good that we have Zoom because without that, you might not even be able to make it. And sometimes we are able, even beyond Zoom, to get together and eat together and fellowship together and really be in each other's lives, cry together, celebrate together, go into the highs and the lows of life together. This is bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the royal law of Christ. He commands this. This is how he wants us to live as his church community. We're going to focus on the love of hospitality. That hospitality which facilitates the fellowship that I was talking about can be expressed in two ways. There is an inreach of hospitality. That's when the church runs after fellowship and gathers together and contributes to the needs of one another. That's the inreach of hospitality. Everybody reaches for that. I, I'm so blessed by Jan because I saw Jan like come up to last Sunday's gathering at my church house, and he came with his bike. And I'm thinking he doesn't he didn't have a car today, but he 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 did what he had to do to get there, and he got on a bike and he rode his bike to my house. He pursued it. He ran after it. He came into it, and we were blessed, and he was blessed. That's the inreach. We're reaching for this and, and, and entering it and experiencing things that God wants us to experience between one another as the Holy Spirit fills. And then we supply each other spiritual things and we also supply each other very practical things. But then there's the outreach of hospitality. And you're thinking, outreach? There's Okay, I get the gathering of the saints and the contributing to the needs of the saints. What are you talking about? Outreach of hospitality. Hospitality is for the stranger. Reach out to a world of lost people who are still strangers to the kingdom of God. Jesus, they're far from God. It's not like they don't want to come into the house of God or into heaven or into the Lord's invitation to come and be saved and enter a life and a future with him. They don't know him. The devil has blinded their minds. They can't see the light of the gospel, which is in the face of Jesus Christ. And yet God is saying, I want you as ministers and messengers of reconciliation to do what I did. I want you to go there and welcome them into the kingdom of God with your lives, with your fellowship, with your house, with your food, with your money, with whatever you have. Bless them. Let them come into fellowship with you, but not only with you, but also in fellowship with me because you have fellowship with me and you are in the middle. You
the outreach of hospitality. Let's go to the inreach first. Hebrews 10.25, this is like a famous verse. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another, just like right now. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good works. And it finishes by saying, not neglecting to meet together. Another translation, not to neglect gathering together. And all the more because we know the day of the Lord is approaching. We're to get together and encourage one another and spur one another and cover one another and even have a mission beyond ourselves together to the world. All of it. Why do I got to run after this, George? Why do I got to pursue this, as you said in that Greek word? Pursue is to pursue it with a a vengeance, with a zeal. They use this word, yoko, in persecution. When someone's running after you to get a hold of you for bad reasons. But they're saying with that same zeal, pursue fellowship in a good way to get a hold of it and to be in it. It's so important. Don't miss it. Don't neglect it. And I said before, how can I communicate to the needs of the saints if I'm not in communion, if I'm not in fellowship with them? I will have no clue most of the time what they need. And even if they need something, I'll be missing in action. I'll be somewhere else. I will have missed out. I will have heard about it. You wouldn't believe it. God moved in our midst. He flattened us. We didn't expect his visitation to come so powerfully. And after he flattened us, he used each of us. And we ended up loving and building each other up. As he wanted us to build each other up in that meeting. We had another plan, but he scrapped it. And he did something amazing. Don't miss out in the fellowship that communicates to the needs. Because God wants to do this, and he wants to do it through us so that we get a chance to experience the Holy Spirit filling us and out of us like a river flowing from us and supplying each other. Living stones gathering, as Rob said, like a living well. They form a well, and in that well, living water flows from out of them and supplies all of them, every stone. Galatians 6, 9, pursue. It says, don't get tired. Don't get sick of this. Don't get tired of doing good. The, the, the Greek is pieo, kalos. Pieo is a pressure yourself into getting there so that you might do something good or beneficial towards others. Get there. Pieo, press into it. Press into every opportunity to do good. Ah, there's so many opportunities to do good. If I say that to myself enough, I'll say there's so many I can't do not even one good thing. Not even one, because there's too many, guys. There's too many good things to do. I can't do it all. No one said for you to do it all. He said, pursue the opportunities. You only get a few in life, really. My parents didn't have six brothers come into their house for the rest of their lives. That was one opportunity, and they took it. They seized the opportunity. They did good. They blessed them. They're still friends today. One of them, they married to to another girl. They introduced her to her. They are really connected. And it tracks back to that. Remember that time when you opened up your home when we had nothing? You gave to our needs. The needs range from spiritual, as I said, 
practical and financial. Oh, George, don't talk about money. You got to talk about money. When people are in need of money, that's the only thing you can give them sometimes to help them. Sometimes it is food, but sometimes it's money. Nothing else will do what they need in that moment. And sometimes it's continual money. You can go up to that board. Everything is open and laid bare. We, we try to practice what God says regarding giving to the needs of the saints who are in the front lines on the mission field or even here in this ministry. We put it up there. Building costs and everything. There are needs in the house of God here. You know what it says? Pursue every opportunity to do good uh, to all people. You know what it says after that? especially to those who belong to the house of faith, especially to those who are in the church family. Well, what do you mean? I, we got to go to the world. The world really needs us. Listen, you as a family member know that you have never overlooked your family to go to the world. You have always attended to them first and then with them have gone out to the world like a family on mission. But you've never neglected them. And God says, in the house of faith, do good, especially to those who are right now around you, real people. I, I would have helped you, but you know what? I'm trying to keep all my resources to helping someone else that I don't even know who I'm going to help in the world. Someone's in front of you right now in God's church, and they need you, and they need your help. You can't say, well, all I have is devoted to people out there. And it's like, no, he's saying it's devoted to people in here when the opportunities to help exist, and it's also out there. He's not telling the church to become a closed circle where we just care for each other. It's care for each other, especially, and then go beyond yourselves to the world. The needs range from spiritual all the way down to financial. Okay, let's talk a little bit about spiritual. James 4.8, when we gather together, you don't gather around a, a leader. <laughs> That's not who's central. That leader, whether they tell you or not, is desperate for the Lord. The best they can do is boast about their weaknesses so that the power of God might rest on them like God's power will rest on you when you gather. And so when we gather, we draw near to God and he draws near to us and that's where the Holy Spirit takes charge of our lives as different parts of the body and each has been given something. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each the manifestation of the Holy Spirit has been given for the common good. There's a community. There's a common need. Uh, all, all different people have different needs. And there is a filling of the Holy Spirit and an activation of the gifts and the people of God so that they can use what they got. Well, I don't have what you have. Use what you got. It doesn't say use what someone else has. Use what you've been given because to each something has been given, apportioned by the Holy Spirit to minister to one another. I thought it was the minister that ministers to, to the rest of the church. You are deceived if you think it's only one person that is a ministry in the church. Ministry in the church of God. And if you have shut down everyone and made yourself so elite to be the only minister that ministers to everyone, you're going to burn out. He's never meant for that to be like that in the body of Christ. Every part properly functioning, each under the head, Jesus Christ, as each does its work in love, the whole body gets built up. And when we gather, we use what we got to build the church up. That's what it says in Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. That's the spiritual. We all have something. Use it when you gather. Again, you can't use it if you don't gather. <laughs> Big building, small building, gather. We got practical contributions. I talked about having your finger on the pulse and not having it on the pulse. 
You gather, you'll be in touch with people and what's going on and what God wants to do in those times of gathering. When you don't gather or you don't reach out, you're going to be clueless on what the needs are. You're only going to be hearing about the testimonies. So in the early church, they gathered in the temple, and they also gathered from house to house. There was a balance of temple and houses, temple and houses. Guess what we're doing at WEC? We're gathering in the building, and then we're gathering in houses, and we're gathering in the building, and we're gathering in the houses. It looks like the early church. Amazing. We get to do what the early church was doing. We get to enjoy intimate fellowship where everyone's caring for each other in a house and then we get to gather in a bigger place where we worship God together and celebrate with God and celebrate communion and we get an equipping from the Word of God and we go out in this mission of inreach and outreach to be the church. There's financial. I'll just touch financial in the simplest way that you can take something away from this. Most of us We've heard this so much, I'm not going to labor this one, but I'm going to touch it. There are needs on that board. We put them up there so that there's not general categories, but specific names, specific ministries, specific people that we've been helping for years out there. They are living off the contributions of people, and some of them are not here. They're in Africa, they're in Nepal, they're in uh, uh, Europe. They're doing something on the front lines, and yet we have a part in it. We are partners. We are participating in the needs of the saints out there. We're participating in the needs of the local ones. There's a bunch of ministries in Winnipeg that we help. You can see who they are. I'm not going to name them all right now. You can just take a glance later. But Malachi 3.10, it's an Old Testament training wheel i'll call it the training wheel not the harley davidson of generosity but the training wheel of it's not even generosity it's not the tithe is not generosity the tithe is god's he doesn't even consider it giving he considers it mine he says so what he says is i provide for you jobs fields i prosper what wherever you put your hand i will bless you but in my provision the nine plus one. Nine is yours, and one is mine. What do you want me to do with the one if it's yours? Give it back? Oh, I threw it up. It came back to me. I guess it's mine. No. He says it's mine. I have given it to you not to throw it back to me, but to put it somewhere. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house so that there will not be any need. Test me in this and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you in such a way that you're so overwhelmed you don't even know, well, now what do I do with this? You're blessing me too much. Before I wasn't doing this and it felt like I had holes in my pocket. I worked so hard, but I ended up with so little. Now I do what you tell me to do and I end up with so much, I don't even know what to do with it. Test me in this, God says. I remember there was an African preacher who joined us and he said, don't have the sticky fingers. Nine is mine and one is mine. Don't do that. Let it go. Do it willfully. You know, willfully. As God loves a cheerful giver who releases what God says to do. I don't know how God takes care of the poor and the widow and ministers and frontliners on the mission field any other way other than what the way his God, God's economy has told us he does this. And so we either trust him or even trust in the storehouse those who are taking it to redistribute it to all the needs, or we don't. If we don't, you're never going to give. It, oh, money. 
There's a lot of people ripping people off out there. I hope you don't think we got that up there and we're going to rip you off with it. (laughs) That's not what's happening in this house. It never has been. I would rather wrap my head with a noose and jump into a lake than think of ever doing that and causing people to stumble thinking, see, they ripped me off. I'll never, never believe that stuff again. (laughs) That's Jesus' image. I don't want to be a stumbling block. Neither does Rob, neither does any of us. Okay, so they range anywhere from spiritual to practical to financial. Paul even says in Ephesians 4.28, he says, work hard with your hands. God blesses work so that you may have enough to share with those in need so that you may have enough to contribute to the needs of others. God's into this. Paul even says to the churches, he tells this one church, now concerning the collection, and he's talking about money, like he's saying, you want to know how to ABC do this? Concerning the collection for the saints, have a proactive plan. Don't react every time someone is talking about it. Set a proactive plan for your year. George and Sherry, you know, right from the 1990s, you know, what are we going to do? Well, how much do you make in a year? How much do I make in a year? Oh, we make that much. How much is 10% of that? Let's just do the training wheel of, of what God says. Okay, 10% is that. Let's get a calculator, divide that by 12, and every month, let's just say that's what we're going to give. Let's not think about this ever again. Unless you get a raise and I get a raise, then we might have to think about it. Or unless God says, I want you to do something more because something's happening and they need you and you have too much and give to the one who has little so that you don't have too much and they don't have too little. God's economy, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says concerning the collection, come on, do what I told the other churches to do, he says. Do what the, I, told, I just told the Galatian churches to do this. What did he tell them? On the first day of every week, each of you, this is 1 Corinthians 16.1. On Sunday, first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside. Don't wait for the preacher to convince you to start giving. You're already convinced by God. Put some of something aside, store it up, like let collect it into how much it's going to collect, and then he says, when I come, I will not have to do a collection. You will already have set, up, set it up to give it because we've understood this. It won't have to be hammering the same message for the rest of our days, tithing, tithing, Malachi, Malachi. No. Put it aside, and let's get into this. Each of us participates. Each of us has a part. Let God convince you on how much to give. No human being. Submit yourselves to God. I'm I'm in poverty like the Macedonians. What did the Macedonians do? They bowed down to God, and they said, we'd like to participate, but we're broke. And he inspired them to give out of their poverty richly. And it says it welled up, this, ha, this chara. Chari is grace, chara is joy. Those two go together. The gift of grace, the gift of giving. When you give, there's a joy that wells up that was secret. It was there. It was locked up until you got freed up to give. And then suddenly joy started welling up, the joy of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, yeah, he's like, yes, that's what I meant. We got to get freed up, cheerful, liberal, generosity. Okay. Let's go back to this seek to show hospitality. Hospitality, we said, is a love for the stranger. Did you know that some people in this church that have been around you are still strangers to you and to me? 
Never had him in our house. Carrie says, <laughs> would you invite us to your house? Because Carrie's pretty new to, to Winnipeg. I'm thinking, yeah. And we had you guys over and got to know each other. And we say hi to each other, but we know each other on another level. We sat, we ate, we talked, we shared, we had fellowship with each other on a deeper level. Let's practice this hospitality with each other. I got some examples on how to pursue hospitality in the church. In the church, whack Sunday brunches. Whoa, you guys have brunch every time you gather together and you've been doing it for the last almost 20 years? Yeah. Do people come? Yeah. Do you want more people to come? There's more people who have never even experienced this. What's in it? Well, people are part of church houses, real closed, tight circle of trust and sharing one another's lives with each other. But when they go to the celebrations, there's the rest of the church that their little church house belongs to, a community of church houses. But you barely know. They seem like strangers, most of them. Come to eat at brunch and sit at a table with some of the strangers and get to know them. You might just invite them to your house after that. And you might just eat in your homes. And it's like, I never knew you had this home. I've never been here before. And I've been here for 20 years with you. Invite me and I'll come. Invite Carrie. Invite Rob. Invite Sherry. I'll invite you. I'll put you on a list. I might not be able to do it all in one week. But I want to know the people in my church community, not just in my church house. Let's start with brunches on Sundays. Bring a little bit of food. Pick it up at Tim, uh, Tim Hortons. I don't care if you bring the donuts or anything. For me, the fellowship matters more than anything else. That's what matters the most. You're all invited to come to church houses. That's another hospitality we can pursue. Beautiful Wonderful things take place in houses when we gather on Sundays. There's an intimacy, like I said before, in this one and a half hour here or even in the two and a half hours if you put the brunch in there, you can't experience that level of intimacy unless it becomes small enough for everybody to be in touch with each other's lives every time you get together. And the houses allow for that kind of ministry. The whole church gets housed in houses on those Sundays. And then the whole church comes together to celebrate on the big Sundays. The building. Come to the building. And sometimes we switch houses. I know that, Rob, you, went, you, you had your holiday time, but you still came on your holidays to fellowship. You're still pursuing fellowship during your holiday time. We told you to go away, to rest somewhere else. But he came, and it was Jill and Athena. We said, we'll open up our house. And the church met in Jill and Athena's house. And then it was Kurt and Christy. And the church met in Kurt and, Kurt and Christy's house. And then it was Lori for Blaine and Kendall's. And Lori said, I'll open up my house a number of times already. And the church met in Lori's house. And then it was Paulo. Paulo says, I want you guys to come to Freedom Farm. Freedom Farm? What's for Freedom Farm? He has his hockey farm. Everybody knows the hockey barn. It was, I won't explain all of that. It's a, it's a big place. To host us. And he says, I want to do it outside. Well, the church can meet outside. They can meet anywhere. The church is people. It's not a building. So we gathered around a fire he had ready. And he brought his family and he brought his friends. And I'm thinking, this is a party mix. A kingdom party mix. People who are strangers to the kingdom. People who are citizens of the kingdom. Fellowshipping together. 
It was beautiful. At Christmas, there was a Turkish Muslim guy who walked into our gathering. We were all talking about the prophecies of God becoming human. And he walked into that, and he was glued. He couldn't move. He was hearing prophecies about Jesus, the Son of God, becoming human. And it was one prophecy after another. Now, you know Muslims respect the prophets. One prophecy after another, and he couldn't. He was gripped by it. And then we fellowshiped together. I think I might have Turkish blood in me. Balakzis is not a Greek name. It is a Turkish name. It means fisherman in Turkish. And we had a great time with the Turkish tenant and talked a little bit about God and, you know, that, that you know, consider these things. That's all you could do at that point. But hospitality even goes beyond building and houses. Come to my place. Come to the building. Come to the church house gathering. Come to this church event. Sometimes they can't come. When I was sick, Jesus said, you visited me. When I couldn't come to you, you came to me. I couldn't come to any of your gatherings. When I was in prison, you visited me. You left your home. You made the trip to Stony Mountain or wherever it is, and you came to me. And sometimes the prison might not be an actual prison. It might be a care home. When I was old and I started losing my memory and I, I, I could barely function on my own and I was there and I used to be part of your church but I couldn't come to the building anymore, you came to me. Frida, I won't go into the story. We came to her. She, we tried to socialize. It wasn't easy to socialize but when Rob pulled out the guitar, Frida came alive. And she knew the song. She was singing with us. She started to cry. We started to minister to her. She knew God's language. The Spirit of God took hold of her memory loss and everything. And suddenly, Frida was a functioning member of the body of Christ in the care home. And this is birth possibilities, new ones that we're talking about behind the scenes. Maybe God has more. You came to me. You came to me like those six Greek brothers, and you welcomed me. That's the... Inreach and the outreach. I'm going to go into the outreach and finish this with the outreach. Got to talk about the outreach a bit. Let's talk about the church going beyond herself to the world and welcoming the world into the kingdom of God with our lives, with our fellowship. John said our joy is made complete. Not that you come into fellowship only with us, but you come into all the way the fellowship we have with the Father and the Son. We would love it that you'd fellowship with us, but love it even more if you actually fellowship with God who we have fellowship with. Come all the way in. Philoxenos, lover of strangers. I'll echo that back to you. That's the word for hospitality. Philos is a befriending kind of love. It doesn't resist or reject or repel or stay, stay away from the, the, the strangers. It actually welcomes warmly and settles in and embraces and blesses the stranger so that in the end they're not a stranger anymore. Did Jesus do that? Of course he did. Of course he did. Jesus, there are people that are so far from God before Jesus came, and when God sent his son down to earth to become a human being and dwell among us, Jesus didn't stop by just becoming human. Oh, I'll just hang out with the religious people, the righteous. He did not do that. He went all the way into fellowship with sinners. 
and were all sinners. And he ate with them and drank with them again and again. Read the New Testament. See how many times Jesus was eating and drinking. He went to that wedding and he turned the wine into, turned the, the water into wine. He blessed that couple because they ran out. He ate and fellowship with people. He got criticized. People were murmuring against him. Look, he, he fellowships with sinners. He's gone to be the guest of uh, the chief of all sinners, Zacchaeus. He's a tax, not a tax collector. He's, he's in charge of the tax collectors. What are you doing going to be the guest of a sinner? And there's Zacchaeus turning his life around. He's Right here, right now, I give half my money away to the poor, and if I've ripped anyone off as a tax collector, I will pay them back according to the law four times. And then Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I've come to reconcile the one who was far away from God back into the kingdom of God. That's the hospitality of Jesus Christ. That's him pursuing fellowship with people in any kind of hospitality. He would say, come to me, welcoming, and he would also go to them when they couldn't come to me. J Zacchaeus was on a tree. No one wanted anything to do with Zacchaeus. But yes, he was short. He wanted to see this, this Jesus is coming, but I must go to your house and fellowship with you today, Zacchaeus. Me? And Zacchaeus leaves happy, and everybody's criticizing Jesus for hanging out with a sinner. And Zacchaeus is blessed in the hospitality. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, he was a tax collector as well, and, you know, he had already given up on the religious system. He's already condemned by all the religious people. They have nothing to do with him. That's a tax collector. And Jesus walks by. This is the miracle maker. This is the, 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 the prophet. This is the one everybody's talking about. And Matthew knows who he is, but he'll never have anything to do with me. And he turns around and he goes, Matthew, follow me. That's the master, the rabbi, the, the teacher saying words that mean, I'm going to mentor you. That's the gospel writer, Matthew. Tax collector became gospel writer. Follow me. And Matthew leaves everything to follow him. But he celebrates, and he brings all his sinner friends into this feast. And Jesus says, well, I'll bring my friends, the believers, the disciples. And they get together, and, of course, Jesus is criticized. And they go to his disciples, what is your master doing eating with such sinners? He says, Jesus, okay, I heard what you said. This is what you need to do. You go back, do your homework, because I don't need those religious sacrifices, all the external stuff you guys do to display how righteous you are. This is what you need to do. Go learn what Become them back home. for reaching out to them, to bring them home. We'll finish with Jesus' vision for hospitality. He says to this host, when you throw a luncheon or a dinner gathering or any kind of fellowship kind of thing that you're doing, 
do not, this is Luke 14, 12, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. He's not saying don't ever invite them, but don't just keep doing the same thing that everybody else in the world is doing. There's no difference between you and the rest of the world. Yeah, I will invite you, you invite me. I will invite you, you will invite me. In other words, we'll just pay each other back for the rest of our lives and our hospitality. Let's just hang out with each other. The Pharisees hung out only with each other. They didn't reach out to anybody. And they made it almost impossible to come into the kingdom for those who were far. He's saying, don't invite the people you've always invited. If you do, They'll invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. You'll get your reward. You, you got invited, they got invited. You came to my birthday, I came to your birthday, and we do this on and on and on and on. Jesus tells them, break out beyond your closed circles of comfort. He says, but when you give a banquet, it's like giving him a new idea, invite, hmm, who's going to be on the guest list? Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. It's like, what? <laughs> Put the last and the least people that were on your mind on the top of the guest list. He's flipping it. They may never be able to pay you back. They may never have something to give you back for that. They may not be able to do what you do with all your friends and relatives. But even though they can't, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's saying there is great reward. When I was a stranger, like those brothers, those six brothers, you welcomed me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in jail, you came to me. And go to them and welcome them and invite them. And you might be thinking, he's talking about those who seem like the least fortunate. Well, beyond all this, if I can stretch it a little bit more and ask who are the least, least, least fortunate, absolutely in the worst state that you could ever be because some of those people can be crippled and still absolutely have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then there are others who can have all the money in the world and absolutely have nothing to do with God and they're broke and they're far and they don't know him. The least fortunate. You want a spiritual perspective on this? It's the lost. And we are the most fortunate. Garfield, the cat. Think of uh, Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was wearing purple. He's rich. He has all the food he wants. He throws it off the table when he doesn't like it. He's there. And Lazarus, hospitality times, they put him at his gate just outside his yard. Because when people put strangers there, sometimes who are sick and hungry, it, what they understood in that culture is give them something. But he just sat there and he did nothing. Just eh, Lazarus, just another poor person. Too many of them. Forget them. Enjoy yourself. Too bad for him, good for me. There's a cartoon, and it was Garfield the Cat. It's just a little Garfield the Cat. It was in a little newspaper. It was funny, but not so funny either for this message. Garfield was sitting, and he had his table full like the rich man. And he was nice and warm in his house. It was winter. 
Uh, and how I know it was winter is because just outside, uh, across the living room, outside the windows, the picture windows there, it was the dog, Odie, going and, and looking at, at, at Garfield and he, he wishing he would let him in. And Garfield is like, wow, I can't eat this. So he got up out of the table and he walked across the room and he reached out and pulled down the blinds. Now I can eat. And he sat back like the rich man and ate for the rest of his life. And Odie the dog, well, if he represents the lost, was out in the cold, lost, not reached out to, and died. You and I, we are the church cleaners. And the six brothers out there in the cold are the lost. And God wants us, just like he sent his son to reach the lost. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, John 20, 21, I send you. And God wants us to reach out to the world with an outreach kind of hospitality, not a closed circle, just church people. That's all I hang out with. But go beyond church, church community, to the lost and welcome them in to the kingdom of God. Welcome them into our fellowship and welcome them into the fellowship we have with God. God bless you.